Welcome to the Brevard Christian Church Podcast. We hope to encourage you with sermons, stories, and interviews that will challenge you to grow in your faith. Enjoy. Good to see each of you here today. We're going to be in Romans, the 12th chapter. So if you have a Bible, like an old-fashioned thing made of paper and bound, or if you have an electronic device that you can scroll through that's got the Bible on it, that'd be awesome if you want to go there, because we're going to look at a few verses, really five verses, from Romans chapter 12. And I got to tell you, as you're going there, Romans 12 is a fun chapter. I mean, it is jam-packed with... Well, valuable information, yeah, but practical, everyday living information. It is a wonderful, wonderful chapter, and I'm really excited to be there with you today. As a matter of fact, this one covers a lot about faith, covers a lot about what God has for us to do to apply our faith, to put it into practice, and that's what we're going to see as we get into this passage. So if you're there with me, go to verse 3. We're going to start reading that verse first. Here's what Paul writes, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. Paul writes, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. And notice he says this command by grace, by grace, not by law, not by a, you better do this because you're going to be zapped if you don't. No, there are commands of grace in the Bible. This is a, because God's done so much for you, here's what's in store. Here's what you're going to do next. It's just part of living out your free life. I say to every one of you, do not. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now that word sober, sober judgment, interesting word. Remember the demon-possessed man in the Gospels? There are actually two of them there. I think Mark tells us that, but there's one in particular. Jesus comes up to him. This man's demon-possessed. He's raving mad. And and he says, my name is Legion, for we are many, many demons that enter into him. Remember that? Well, what happens? Jesus heals him, sends the demons into the pigs, and the people are shocked to find that man dressed and in his right mind. That's that word sober. The word sober, Greek word sober. In your right mind. So think of yourself clearly. Think of yourself as you ought to be. In your right mind. In accordance with the faith God has distributed. Now, distributed, that's an interesting word. I'm reading from the NIV here. Uh, Some of you may have ESV or some other translation. Distributed is actually, there's two Greek words they're trying to translate there. Two different Greek words that they're using for this one English word. The first word is a word that means to divide or to distribute. So when Jesus fed the 5,000, 5,000 men, women, children, all them, and he divided up the loaves, he handed them out, that's the first Greek word, right? The second word, though, we're dividing, we're distributing what? The Greek word is the word metron. Metron. It is actually where we get our English word metric from. You've heard of a metric, right? Metric system. I kind of like the metric system. It's a little bit more intuitive in my brain, but that's not what the sermon's about, okay? But you know what a metric is, right? It's like a measurement. It's like a gauge. It's like you you got the ruler out. You got the, oh, here we are, here we are, here we are. It's a metric. We get that. I'm really, really glad he uses this when when he's talking about the way we need to think about faith, the faith metric. See, a lot of times I think we have this notion of there are people with great faith and there are people with low faith and I just need to get a better, I need to get better faith. 
Remember when the apostles, remember when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, increase our faith. You remember that? Lord, increase our faith. Did Jesus say, oh yeah, your faith is so little. Man, I, I need to give you a big old dose of faith. You need so much more faith. No, he didn't say that, right? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you had faith, what? The size of a mustard seed. Yeah. If you, listen, guys, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be moved, and it would. So it's not so much an amount thing. It's not so much a, we need an amount. It's a metric. It's a metric. It's a where are you now and how does faith apply? So real life example, if someone were to ask me to approach me and say, Seth, I want you to be in charge of a women's ministry. You know what my response would be? No, I refuse. I will not. You're not going to do that to me. I will not be in charge of a women's ministry. Why? Do you hate women, Seth? You want, you want nothing to do with women? No, I don't hate women. That's not where my faith is. That's not my faith metric. Why would you ask me to do that? Right? It's not because I have anything against that, but I'm not necessarily the right person for the job. Perhaps you could ask a woman to be in charge of a woman's ministry, maybe a, a mature Christian woman. Wouldn't that make more sense? It's not my faith metric. It's not where I am, right? Does that make sense? Not so much a level, it's just a, a place. So does that mean I don't do any form of women's ministry at all? I have nothing to do with women's ministry. That's actually not the case. I do. Did you know this? I have a women's ministry for five young ladies. They're all my daughters. That's my women's ministry, right? Why? Because that's my faith metric. That's where God has allowed me to be. Now, someone talked to me last service and said, Seth, you didn't talk about your wife. What about her? And I'm like, man, I'm going to get in trouble no matter how I say that. Like, she does way more ministering to me than I do to her. But yeah, I care about her too. But you get the idea, right? It's where you are in the faith. Where has God allowed you to be? Where is that metric? Where is that measurement? Okay, what's the next logical step? What is your next logical step? What is the next thing, perhaps, that God is asking you to do to grow in your faith? Such a good challenge. Verse 4, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function... So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, if you want a longer passage of Scripture that covers this in more detail, you'd go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A few verses down in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you're going to read about how the church is one body, many members. But he talks about that here in, one small, in a smaller section of Scripture, right? Okay. One body, each member belongs to all the others. You know when God talks about marriage? You know when God talks about marriage? You read this in Ephesians 5, you read it in 1 Corinthians 7. He, in essence, and this is me paraphrasing, right? God basically says in marriage, a husband and wife belong to each other, right? In marriage, and the way marriage is supposed to be, you husband don't own yourself, she owns you. You wife don't own yourself, he owns you. You both belong to each other. You, in essence, own each other. <laughs> so why is marriage so hard? Well, probably you boil it down because you don't own yourself. You both own each other. <laughs> but why can marriage be so awesome? Why can it be so amazing? Well, if, because you both own each other, right? It's the very thing that makes it hard is also the very thing that makes it great. And that is in the church too. You realize that? 
The very thing that makes church challenging, the fact that we own each other, is also the very thing that potentially, if we do this right, makes it great as well. Not easy, though. Not easy. Why is it not easy? Well, I think a lot of it, I could blame it on culture, but for whatever reason, we are good at being nitpicky, aren't we? We are good at focusing on what's right in front of me and what bothers me, and I I hyper-focus on that. This has been a historic problem in the church. When I think of... um, When I think about this, one of the things that comes to mind is a church several years back that was trying to start a 10 in 10 campaign, is what they called it. Really lofty idea. They wanted to plant 10 new churches by the year 2010. Great, great idea. I mean, wonderful. Talk about a mission. Talk about outward focus. We're going to plant 10 new churches before 2010. But that never happened. And you know why it never happened? This will surprise some of you, but some of you who've been in the church long enough, it won't surprise you at all. But I'll tell you why their 10 and 10 campaign never never got off the ground. The preacher purchased a copying machine. That's the reason why. The preacher purchased a copying machine, and others in leadership said, that's an expensive copying machine. Did did you need that? Is that really a good use of God's resources, God's money, to be investing it in expensive pieces of equipment like this copying machine? And the bickering, the backbiting, the frustration, on and on. Ultimately, that if you wanted to point to kind of a catalyst to a moment, that was what brought this whole campaign down because they were just so bothered about this. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. The reason why a lot of times we don't have the witness we should, the reason why God isn't really glorified is we nitpick over these littlest of things and we blow them out of proportion. Maybe it wasn't a great copying machine purchase, but you know what? I think planting 10 churches, making some mistakes along the way in order to do that was so much better than stopping the whole thing. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree? But we oftentimes are so individually focused. That's what Satan wants. He wants us to focus on what bothers you, and you shouldn't have to put up with that. And we just get, we get blindsided by these things. And what happens? causes division. Causes division amongst God's church, doesn't it? Right? I want to show you, I want to show you a uh, picture. This is a map, Google map, five mile radius, central Bavard County, and these dots are churches. Churches in a five mile radius. Okay, now are they all really churches, Seth? Do they really teach the whole gospel, blah, blah, blah? I don't know. I don't know the details, but I bet you this. I bet you they all say that Jesus is Lord, and I bet you they all say that they follow the Bible. I bet they all say that. And yet there are... It almost looks as though we can't get along as Christians, doesn't it? I mean, what does this look like to the lost world? What What do you think it looks like? I think it looks like maybe Christians can't even get along with each other. You know why? Because it's true. Christians can't even get along with each other. That's the problem. That's the problem. Is that how God's church is supposed to look? When you take a look at Scripture, and this is a map. I know you can't see it really well. Sorry about that. But this is one of the best maps I found online that has all the churches in the New Testament written down and put on a single map, right? You take a look at Scripture and you see... You see how God has divided up, if you will, his church. Now, pause for a second. Isn't there only one church, Seth? Isn't that true? Isn't there only supposed to be one? You're right. You're right. There's only one universal church of God. Correct? You're either in God's kingdom or you're not. You're a Christian or you're not. So God does have one church on earth. But God subdivides it, doesn't he? 
When you read in the Bible, you read about different churches, don't you? You read about the church at Thessalonica, the church at Laodicea, the church at Smyrna. The word church there is used Greek singular. He's talking about separate churches. Even though we're all part of one big church, right? God does subdivide it into, if you will, local churches, local regional churches, right? That is the biblical example. So my question is, what's the parameters? What's the geographical parameters of that? Okay, there's a local church. How big is a local church supposed to be? What is that supposed to look like? What's the New Testament example? Well, I'll zoom in a little bit so you can see. I know it's hard to see on this map, but each of these red dots each of these are different churches. That's the way God refers to them in Scripture. He calls this church by one name, and then he calls this church a different church, right? All broken down by region. So it appears churches are pretty close. And so from this, from this map and from this kind of way of thinking, we, we have independent churches. We're not a denomination here, and a lot of other churches are non-denominational. seems to be quite trendy right, right now, but for whatever reason, I can understand why people like that because, hey, we're independent. Jesus is our, is our king. He's our head. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? So if you want to have a church down the road from another church, if you want to start a church even across the street from another church, okay, fine, have at it. And I've driven down those roads. Have you driven down those roads? Church here, church here, church here, church here. And I'm kind of wondering who fought with who? Like what, what happened there? Who got mad at who to start this? Anyway, it's, it's comical sometimes how many churches you find even on the same street. But in God's word, how much area should one church take up? How many churches should you have in a region? What's the, what's the size scope? I know it looks like you can just have them as close as you want, but that's not the case. Do you, does anyone see the mistake in my map? Did anyone see it? There's a, there's, a, there's a mistake on this map. There's a glaring error right in the center of this map. I'll zoom in on it for you so you can get a better view. Look at this mistake. Look at that. Do you know what that is? That's Brevard County. That's Brevard County. You live there, you know that. This county, Brevard County. Do you know how big Brevard County is? Way too big. It is 72 miles from top to bottom. Who designed a county like that? What nonsense is that? I mean, you have to drive an hour and a half just to get from one side. Sorry, I am a little bitter about that. I wish it was, you know, very, very frustrating, right? 72 miles tall, roughly 26 and a half miles wide. Brevard County, if you were to superimpose Brevard County, scale it and put it on the map of New Testament churches, this is what it would look like. Ah, now let's go back. It was there the whole time. Brevard County was here on the map the whole time. You see it? You see it? It was there. Obviously, obviously the churches in the New Testament encompass a much bigger region than perhaps we thought, right? I mean, if this is to scale, if this is the size of our county, what do you have? You have churches that are filling up the, the area of a county. They, they cover lots of space. So you tell me, what is the biblical example? Which looks more accurate according to scripture? This in a five mile radius? Or perhaps this, a church? You see where we're going with this? You understand? If you haven't considered this before, I want you to take time to think about it. I know it's hard when it hits you new if you haven't heard this, right? 
Think about how God defines, how God uses an example of the word church locally. It's a whole lot bigger than we do. We have drifted from the biblical example. Today, we think you can have multiple churches on the same street. I'm here to tell you in God's eyes, as best I can tell from studying scripture, that's impossible. I don't care what the government says. I don't care what any human says. In God's eyes, in this county, if I understand scripture correctly, he has one church and you're either in it or you're not. Simple as that. I don't care how many other man-made divisions we have. So this hits home, right? Brevard Christian Church, BCC. Why would we choose a name like that? Why have a name like that? Is it slick branding? Ooh, the circle, like do some fun stuff. No, that's not the primary reason. Is it because we wanted to be multi-campus, you know, so we can keep up with everyone else and have multiple campuses so Brevard can? No, that's not the primary reason. Sure, those are nice side benefits, but that's not the primary reason. Why would we have a name like Brevard Christian Church? I'll tell you why. Because I think we don't have a choice. I think God has picked that name for us. Because if you understand that there can only be one church in this massive area, then you realize, well, that's who we are, right? Now, we may go by other names, and, and, and a lot of people might pause here and say, Seth, that doesn't make sense. You, you, that's not the way it is. There's a church in Merritt Island. There's, there's a church in Cocoa. There's a, we know of one in Cocoa Beach. There's several in Titusville. It, okay, okay, yeah, I get it, I get it. But you know this, right? A church, the word church, is it talking about a building? No. So when we talk about a church, what is a church? Who is a church? It's the people, right? Right? Church equals the people, not the building, biblically in God's eyes. So here at this campus where we're meeting together, no matter what we call ourselves, are we Christians in Brevard County? Well, yeah, we certainly are. Okay, what about over in Cocoa Beach? Yeah, there are people meeting there at, at, a, at a campus, First Christian Church, Cocoa Beach. Okay, cool. Are they Christians in Brevard County? Well, yeah, I guess they are. You go right on down the line. All right, you can go by a whole bunch of different names. You can call it whatever you like. But at the end of the day, what are you? You're a Christian in God's church, in God's scope. And you either are or you aren't. Simple as that. We're just trying to follow what God says. Does that kind of make sense? Do you kind of see that? So when, when Scripture says, when Scripture says that we're a body and each of us belongs to each other, guys, we need to broaden our scope a bit. See, I used to think, oh, that means I belong to you and you belong to me and us. And... No, 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 no. That means in this whole county. That means in, the, in this entire county, all the Christians here, we belong to them. They belong to us. That's hard. That's really hard. That's, that's a logistical challenge. You know what? Marriage is hard too. Very hard. But is it awesome? Yes, when done right, when you achieve the challenge, it's awesome. When we belong to each other, in Christians in this county, it's hard. Ah, oh, it's awesome. And I believe it is what God is looking for. So I'm going to ask you 
to try something with me in the future. And this will not be easy. I have been messing up left and right. I'm still working on this myself. I have tried to stop calling what we have today, the word church. I have tried to stop calling different churches churches. If they're in Brevard County, I call them a campus. Does that make sense? Not because I'm trying to do something slick or something weird or, or, or be nitpicky. No, no, no. I'm just trying to be more accurate to what I see in Scripture. God's got one church in, in a big area. So I believe he's got one church in this county. So I need to stop calling this a church and that a church and that a church. No, these are campuses. Majority of the time when people talk about going to church, what they really mean is I'm going to a campus to meet with other Christians there. So I'm trying to use language. Try to use language that matches up as much as we can so that we can wrap our minds around the real scope of this thing. It's a whole lot bigger than we oftentimes allow it. So am I lobbying for some sort of great unification? Am I lobbying for something corporate to happen? No, nothing corporate. Yes, something heavenly. We need to stop caring so much about what the government calls us. We need to stop caring so much about what other people try to define us as and start caring about what God says his church is, regardless of how popular it is. All we can be is God's church. That's the only way to be. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. They own us. We own them. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. All right, quick pause here. Prophesying is one of the miraculous spiritual gifts that you see in the early church. There are several others of these. First Corinthians lists them out. You've got tongue speaking. You have interpretation of tongues. You have the miraculous gift of discernment, various types of healings. You just go right on down the line. Lots of them. How did people get these gifts? Well, to answer that question, you have to go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 makes it pretty clear. The only way that we know of that people received miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit is by the laying on of the apostles' hands. So one of the apostles, or sometimes multiple of the apostles, would lay hands on an individual, and that individual received a specific miraculous spiritual gift that they would use. Like the gift of prophecy. What is prophecy? It's speaking on behalf of God. It's speaking the word of God. And in the early church, I hope you see this makes perfect sense. Has the Bible been fully written yet? I mean, you got the Old Testament and you have Jesus starting this church, but they're still living it right then. This, this is all fresh. This is all new to them. They didn't have a New Testament to go to. So what'd you do? How do you know if, if you're following God's will, if you're following some crazy person who says he knows God? Well, you would look to the guy who the apostles laid hands on. You would look to him, that, that person, and be like, all right, I know Peter, I know John laid hands on him, and he's got the gift of prophecy, so what he says, he go, what he says goes. And I know this guy, they laid their hands on him. He has the gift of discernment, a spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit. So that means whatever is being said, I'm going to look to him. Is that true? Okay, yeah, that's what God said. You had to have that to know what God's will was. So how'd this play out? How'd, the, how'd this end up? Well, when the people who had the, the apostles' hands laid on them, when the apostles died, and when the people whose who's, uh, apostles' hands were laid on, they also died. The miraculous spiritual gifts died with them just at the exact same time, just so coincidentally at the time that the whole scripture, the whole Bible had been written. Now we know the exact will of God completely. 
The entire thing has been made it clear. Now I need to point this out. It says if your gift is prophesying, and that was a miraculous spiritual gift they had at that time, right? If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. In your Bible, if it says the word your, you should probably strike it out. The word your is not in the original. The word your is not in the original Greek. It doesn't say prophesy in accordance with your faith. It says prophesy in accordance with the faith. The faith. So you go to the book of Jude, verse 3, and what does it say? We are to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. It's not something that's ever changing, ever, ever evolving. No, once for all, and it's good enough for all. So here's the deal. If you want to be the fulfillment of prophecy today, if you want to be the ultimate fulfillment of the gift of prophecy, and you want to experience that today, here's how you do it. If you want to be a prophet, quote the Bible. Simple as that. You want to speak the very words of God, then know your Bible and quote it to others. Share the very words of God. Anything that God says in his word, share it. That's how you fulfill the ultimate gift of prophecy. Do it in accordance with the faith, the one that hasn't ever evolved. And, and don't do it just based on how you feel, based on an emotional whim, based on something. No, no, no. Do, do it based on what God's word says. If it is serving, if this is your gift, serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Can you see what God's looking for in all of us? I mean, he throws out this big list. Why? Why is he throwing out this random shotgun list? Because it's a metric. Not everyone's going to be in the same place at the same time. And that's okay. That's the way it is. We have different things that we can do. So where are you? What's your next step? Take your next step. Do you know things that other people don't know? Maybe you could be a teacher. Or perhaps maybe you need to take uh, uh, someone who's younger in the faith, maybe you need to take them out to lunch and be a teacher of one, be a mentor. Maybe that's where you are. You could do that. Or perhaps not. Maybe that's not where your metric is. Okay, fine. If that's, if that's not where your faith metric is right now, okay. But encouragement? Oh, do you guys know simply by being here, you are an encouragement? Just the, I mean, you, you're just a breathing person in a chair. Just that alone, even up there, even, even you way, way, way far away people back there, even you guys, just being here, you add energy to the room. You add encouragement, not just to me, but to everyone around you. I mean, nobody wants to show up to an empty room. But you being here, oh man, and I'm, this seems so silly. A lot of times I'm like, Poof. What, what can that do? That's nothing. You know, every, every YouTube person, every YouTuber is like, hey, make sure you subscribe to my channel and like a video. And you're like, yeah, whatever. I heard that before, right? Why do they all keep saying that? Well, because when you do that, not only does it, you know, yeah, you get notifications and stuff, but it also helps them grow in popularity. It helps them grow in notoriety. So, so get this. You, and I know it's silly, you can go to... The, the Facebook and the Instagram account of this, this campus and like it, and you know what? You are encouraging. 
You are helping feed the search engine so that they send more people this direction. And not just here, any of the church campuses in this county. Just taking the time to, to give a thumbs up, to give a like, to give a comment, to do whatever you can helps feed the engine that gets them attention so more people can know Christ. You're encouraging today by doing that. Even the simple things. You know how helpful your offerings have been? I don't know if we talk about this enough, but your offerings throughout the years, guys, I've been here, we moved here when I was 12 years old. So throughout the years, I mean, probably hundreds of people have been baptized into Christ just in this campus, not even counting the other ones. And I'm not even counting some of the missions that we've supported throughout the years. You know, one, for example, would be the, the mission, the big mission in India, thousands of people Thousands of people baptized into Christ going to be in heaven. As a matter of fact, last I heard, they had, they had started almost 1,200 churches over there in South India. You know why all that happened? Because you kept the lights on. Because your giving kept it going. Do you know how, how much of a gift that is? It's huge. Utterly huge. You have a skill? You have an ability, maybe something unique. I know, especially where we live, given the demographic and stuff, I know in this room there are a lot of really good skill sets, unique skill sets. How would God have you use that? Can you use that to serve his church in this county? Are you a gracious person? This one about showing mercy, I... I, I I don't think we emphasize that enough. I, I got to tell you, some of you, some of you have a special gift. You can listen to drama without gossiping. Wow, I don't know how you do that. I, I can't even listen to it. I'm like, please just get it away from me. This is toxic. This is. Some of you have the unique ability, not every one of us, but some of you have the unique ability to listen to someone's negative drama, keep a smile on your face, be encouraging, and not spread it around as gossip. That's a gift. That's a gift that is helping. You are a big reason why God's church is growing. Because you're using your gift. I hope you see it's not, it's not what you can't do. It's what you can. It's not necessarily the amount of your faith. It's the metric. Where are you? What can you do next? And I'll show you a picture. This took place uh, end of September and there have been other stories like this in the past, uh, numerous ones actually. This is a bus in Berlin, and it had driven over, and there was an 18-year-old young man who was pinned underneath the bus. Would have been completely catastrophic, probably would have killed the guy, except there were enough people around. There were 40 people nearby, and instinctively they all came together, lifted the bus, pulled the 18-year-old the, the kid, pulled him right out. Because they worked together. Now, obviously, they didn't show up, you know, thinking like, oh, hope somebody goes under a bus today. I'm going to stretch. I'm going to, you know, it wasn't 40 weightlifters, powerlifters, right? It wasn't the, maybe the 40 people you would have chosen. <laughs> but who was it, the people that were there? Did they have to lift the bus? Well, not individually, they didn't. Individually, they just had to lift their part. And together, yeah, they got it up. And this isn't the only story. Get, it, get on Google, start searching. You'll find other stories, same kind of thing. Numerous times people pinned under vehicles, but you get people, you get enough people together, 
Man, you can lift something serious. It's like God's church. When we get together, we recognize, ah, it's not just me anymore. It's, it's them. They own me. I own them. We're together in this. How can I lift? I don't have to lift the whole thing myself. I just need to lift my part. It's amazing what can be done when God's people work together. And I love focusing on the positive, but guys, before we leave today, I'm going to flip this, and I need to focus on the negative a bit because it's incredibly important. I want to show you this picture. This picture is the Coconut Grove. Coconut Grove fire took place November 28, 1942. It was the deadliest nightclub fire in history. Happened in Boston. 492 people died in that fire. Terrible, terrible tragedy. But what makes it more tragic than that was the fact that experts, experts have looked at this and said, you know what, 300 of those 492, 300 of them didn't have to die at all. There were some little silly things that added 300 to the death toll. What kind of little things? Well, some of the emergency exits were locked. Weren't supposed to be locked, but they were locked to keep people from coming in without paying. The front of this club had a revolving door. You guys remember revolving doors? You don't see them as often anymore, right? And now when you see them, they have to have doors on either side of it. But back at this time, they didn't. It was just a revolving door. So what happens when you step into a revolving door and then there's a crowd of people trying to all jam in at the same time, it gets stuck. The revolving door got jammed shut with people's limbs, people's bodies wedged in there and the weight of the crowd pushing behind. I cannot imagine how brutal that would have been to those people stuck in there, getting their bones crushed, getting their bodies ripped apart and the crowd burning behind them from the flames, awful. But perhaps even, even crazier, even, even more tragic to think about was the lounge area. They had a couple of lounge doors that were unlocked, were opened, you could get right out of there. Only one problem. The doors opened inward instead of outward. We don't think about that much, do we? That, I mean, I think about your home. Do I open inward? Do I open outward? I mean, it's kind of an afterthought. Who cares? As long as I can get the door open, it's fine. It's easy to open. It's probably the way they thought too, but at this time, big, big deal, right? If you have a fire behind you and an influx of people all go rushing for a door that opens inward, what's going to happen? The person who gets to the front of the door is going to try to open it, but their body's in the way, and they can't step back because crowds of hundreds of people are pushing against them, jamming them forward. I did a little bit of research on this. There's a thing called crowd compression. Have you heard of that? Crowd compression, it's like picture an accordion effect where if a crowd is pushing in, one person pushes on the next, who pushes on the next, who pushes on the next, you've got the pressure of dozens or hundreds of people all pushing against whoever's in the front. People in the front get crushed to death from this. Many people have died because of this phenomenon. Big games, big crowds, that sort of thing. Well, you have crowd compression going on because people in the back don't want to get burnt to death, so they're running away from the intense heat while the people in the front are pinned against a door that would easily open, but they can't pull it back to open it. So 300 people who didn't have to were burned alive 
Why would I tell you that on a Sunday morning? Connect the dots. When God's people don't work together, we look like just another example of confused people in the world not shining the light of Jesus. When we don't work together, we don't have a witness and people don't hear about Jesus. And what happens to those people? Those people who reject Jesus, they don't make Jesus Lord because the Christians didn't have their act together, weren't, didn't care enough to, to work together, to own each other, didn't do all that. What happens to the people who never accept Jesus? They get burned alive, don't they? Essentially. You see how important it is for us to work together? It's not just because it's, oh, me and my next step, and oh, that'd be nice, and oh, I feel good about that. No, there's lives at stake. People will burn alive if you and I aren't taking this seriously and taking our next step. That's how serious this is. The person in the Bible who talked more about hell than anyone else is Jesus. Jesus spoke more on the topic of hell than anyone else in the Bible. You know what Jesus said? John 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's why Jesus came. But they'll only have it if they hear about him. And how are they going to hear about him? Well, when the church has the influence that she should. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Brevard Christian Church Podcast. We pray you are encouraged and blessed. And until next time, grace and peace to you.